One week ago, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe made his surprise announcement to step down over health issues, leaving behind uncertainty over regional security, his country's economic future, and unanswered questions about the political scandals he was mired in. And since then, his ruling Liberal Democratic Party has decided to hold a simplified vote for its new leader with only its legislators and three representatives from each of the country's 47 prefectures on the 14th of this month. So uh, to give us more details, we're very pleased to be joined by politics reporter uh, from the Japan Times, Satoshi Sugiyama, on the line. Hello. Hi, hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So uh, the prime minister's announcement to step down was uh, unexpected uh, to the extent, at least that's been reported in the media, that even his close aides weren't aware of his intention to resign until the last minute. Uh, A lot of speculation, as you can imagine, uh, floating about the real reason behind his resignation, uh, despite Abe himself citing health reasons. Uh, some analysts here feel that that is not the real reason. Um, uh, are the uh, rumors surrounding why Abe resigned um, as it's persisting in Korea? Is it the same case? Uh, is it still persisting in Japan? Well, I think the public's attention has now shifted to who will become a prime minister, who will become a new prime minister. Um, Indeed, I mean, his cabinet approval rating, even in right-leaning newspapers' poll, has been its its 30s recently, and almost 70%, this is from a Yomiuri newspaper, which is a conservative newspaper, almost 70% of people responded that they were not satisfied with the government's response to the coronavirus. So definitely, I think, his critics have said that you know his resignation is essentially him taking the responsibility for the government's handling of the pandemic mm-hmm. and also also other scandals. But at the same time, you know it's true that he was not well. Um, he went into hospital twice last month for checkups, um, but you know he stayed almost eight hours in that first visit, right? And I was watching his news conference on August 9th in Nagasaki. And you could tell that he was in pain. He looked really distracted when a reporter was asking a question. Right. And he really struggled to put together his answer here and there um, through other news conference. Yeah, so uh, he certainly, if you look at um, just the public appearances, uh, he did not seem to be as robust as uh, he was perhaps in years past. And we also have uh, the evidence of his uh, previous tenure as prime minister, where he did indeed resign uh, for health reasons. Um, uh, Just addressing some of the critics of Abe, uh, a Japanese uh, scholar, for example, Koichi Nagano, he wrote in the Uh, New York Times that uh, Abe certainly hadn't appeared to be working too hard. In fact, uh, most Japanese people had become uh, critical on the management of the pandemic as well as its economic impact. Um, As you had alluded to, do you think the wider public uh, shares this sentiment? And although, yes, he might be uh, unhealthy right now, there is some criticism for Abe uh, leaving office without fixing the situation and also not addressing some of those uh, rumored political scandals. Right. So if you look back earlier this year, even during the first wave of the coronavirus, you know, infection, uh, Abe was criticized for not taking the helm of the situation. And he delegated much of the tasks to the health minister when the Diamond Princess cruise ship showed up in the shore of Yokohama. And also he delegated much of the tasks to the um, fiscal policy minister, who later became a minister in charge of the coronavirus response. 
And you know, the government took a lot of heat, too, by setting very stringent standards initially uh, in virus testing. Um, the government said this is to not to overwhelm the hospitals, but that created a situation in which a lot of people who were, uh, you know, having the symptoms, very ha- having acute symptoms, wouldn't be able to get tested. So there's definitely uh, frustrations towards the administration uh, that that's present. And after being criticized, you know, a prime minister held news conferences uh, almost nine times, explaining, you know, his decision to, you know, declare a state of emergency and talking about what he's going to do, what his administration is going to do to, you know, to, uh, rescue the economy. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, some of his policies, like, you know, distributing cloth face masks to all households, you know, which was essentially ridiculed as a battle mask, a uh, combination of economics and masks, and it, you know, policies like that unleashed a new wave of criticism that, you know, his administration simply doesn't understand the public sentiment. Right. And, you know, and, and also, you know, another example of criticism would be that the administration was trying to, you know, boost domestic tourism despite new cases were rising rapidly in July. So that kind of contributed a sense that the, the administration cares more about the economy as opposed to the public health. And, you know, since since um, the, his last news conference before the resignation announcement was June 18th, and Abe has refused to hold news conferences, and, you know, has refused to hold a parliamentary session to talk about additional government responses. So I think that those kind of things have also contributed to the public sentiment uh, or, or the feed of the public criticism that, you know, he is just simply, he simply doesn't get it. Right. Well, uh, the the question now is, as you point out, the public are really curious about who is going to be his successor. Uh, there was this debate of whether it's going to be a wider party election or it's going to be a, a bit more of a simplified election. It looks like they have certainly uh, leaned towards the latter. Uh, the LPD now will be voting for a replacement on the 14th. Uh, it will be a limited election. Rank and file members will not be able to uh, vote. Um, and this was deemed widely uh, from our perspective to be uh, favorable to the current Chief Cabinet Secretary uh, Yoshidi Suga, uh, who has officially launched his bid. Uh, I imagine there is some backlash from supporters of uh, people like um, Defense Minister Shigeru Ishiba. Uh, how do you assess the current leadership race right now? You know, I, I think you, you were right. I mean, the, the, uh, the Secretary General, the LDP Secretary General, uh, Mr. Nikai, made a decision to skip rank-and-file vote uh, this time around. And, you know, if you look at the party rule, it, it, is, it is allowed. I mean, it, the, the rule stipulates that in case that the LDP president uh, decides to step down in the middle of the tenure, you know, the rank-and-file votes uh, can be skipped. But, uh, you know, that has created a, a lot of, you know, resentment uh, among uh, Mr. Ishiba and as well as Fumio Kishida, you know, who's another contestant, uh, that you know, uh, you know, they 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 were put at, uh, they were put at a severe disadvantage, and you know, the party is really under the party's under criticism that you know the party like five out of seven major factions uh, within LDP are now backing Suga, so this is going back to old, uh, to this Japanese old style of faction-based politics uh, in, the, in the LDP. Now, 
If we here in Korea, and this this is uh, something we hope you can uh, answer for us uh, from the Japanese perspective, but if uh, the opinion in Korea is that uh, Suga is considered to be more in line with um, Abe's uh, more hawkish uh, right-wing policies, uh, especially with the uh, tensions that have uh, exacerbated between South Korea and Japan, and that uh, someone like uh, Ishiba is considered to be uh, a bit more uh, along the moderate lines. Um, maybe you agree or disagree with that assessment here in Korea. And if, if it is a fait accompli that Suga is going to be the next prime minister, uh, does that mean that uh, we are essentially stuck in a, a status quo, at least with the uh, South Korea-Japan relationship? I think your assessment is right. I think, you know, Suga essentially branded himself as, you know, um, someone who will inherit Abe's policies, and he would essentially be Abe 2.0. Uh, and, you know, again, his, quali- his chief qualifications are continuity and stability. And so, you know, you could say they're both asset and, and liability. So people, at least in Japan, don't want to be introduced to change in the middle of uh, an emergency or, you know, referring to a pandemic. Uh, but there's also concern, as we pointed out, that he is going to take over, you know, some negative legacies of the administration and also continue down the path of, of foreign policies that has been carried out uh, by, the administra- by the Abe administration. So when it comes to Japan-South uh, Japan, Korea relations, uh, if Suga well, became the prime minister, I think that the, 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 the status quo would continue would would be um, would be maintained at least for at least for some time. Uh, we have a final. Uh, we have about a minute left. But uh, just overall, uh, for Shinzo Abe, longest ever serving prime minister in Japan, uh, certainly had a lot of grand ambitions, including what we're concerning here in Korea, like uh, constitutional reform, uh, doing away with the pacifist uh, uh, constitution, and a, a lot of these other things that uh, he had uh, in store, particularly uh, after what he hoped to have been a successful Tokyo Summer Olympics. But overall, how would you uh, assess his legacy as uh, prime minister? I think, you know, you can say many accomplishments. If you talk about the stock index, you know, the Nikkei has almost doubled uh, since when he took over the, um, when he took over the, uh, the, the prime ministership in, uh, in late 2012. But I think the biggest uh, accomplishment he has done is installing or restoring a sense of stability in Japanese politics. You know, if you look at the Japanese history, we had a really quick turn, uh, quick turnover of the prime ministers, you know, like the prime minister uh, with a new administration coming in, like almost like, you know, like once once a year. But the fact that Prime Minister Abe, um, uh, Mr. Abe, remained in the office for seven years and eight months, you know, partially due to fragmented, very weak opposition, right. and you know, among other factors, but he has brought a sense of stability in Japanese politics, and that kind of contributed to, you know, to to essentially the country's credibility. That you know, listen. Uh, we are not as unstable politically, right. and we can be trusted uh, when it comes to dealing with us. All right. Uh, thank you very much for all of this analysis. Satoshi uh, Sugiyama from Japan Times. Uh, appreciate it. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Um, I, I hope so, too.
And let's continue our discussion uh, looking at the implications of Abe's uh, resignation uh, from the wider Northeast Asia perspective. Uh, pleased to be joined uh, by the Asia director of Eurasia Group, uh, Scott Seaman. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Uh, first question, what are your thoughts uh, initially on the view that Abe's resignation could uh, somewhat uh, maybe threaten regional stability here in Asia? I don't have that sense. If anything, I think that at least on the margins, anytime you have a new prime minister or a new political leader anywhere, um, there is an opportunity for that country and for other countries to, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, hit, hit the reset button on their relationships. Um, Abe certainly uh, has, I think, earned respect in the region, but he hasn't always been the most... Uh, uh, I guess, comfortable person to work with for a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. And uh, with a new prime minister coming in, there is always a chance that uh, one side or the other will decide that this is a good time to try a different route. Now, uh, as I mentioned in the uh, earlier interview, there were some expectations or hopes here in Korea that uh, a figure like uh, Defense Minister uh, Shigeru Ishiba would be taking over, which could signal a more moderate tone from Japan, at least vis-a-vis the South Korea-Japan relationship. The foreign minister here of Korea, Kang Kyung-hwa, saying that you have to have a more realistic outlook on that. Uh, what are your thoughts as far as um, just overall the future of the bilateral relationship between Korea and uh, Japan? So there's no question that anyone stepping into Abe's shoes will be facing some of the same issues, uh, regardless of how that person wants to approach them. Um, the, the relationship between Japan and South Korea obviously has a long history. Um, President Moon and, and Prime Minister Abe are not the first people to have difficulty managing that relationship. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say about Suga is I don't find him to be a, an ideological conservative, okay. uh, anything like Abe. In other words, he, he may be socially conservative, he certainly is, uh, you know, very concerned about Japan's interests and its security and things like that. But I just don't think that he has the same ideological character or bent. To so he's not a true believer, does. so to speak. I think he, I mean, you know, I, I'd have to spend a lot of time with him right, to really right. tease that out. But I don't think, I think he's much more pragmatic. Uh, I think that he has a relationship with Abe that's based on mutual respect, not necessarily some sort of shared uh, world vision. Mm. Uh, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that uh, Suga might take a slightly different approach. However, what I have heard is that um, Suga has been pretty frustrated with President Moon, and so it may take some uh, effort from both sides to really shift things in a new direction. But, I, but again, I, I wouldn't want either side to rule that out. Well, uh, that personal relationship or chemistry is always an important factor in any uh, bilateral relationship, uh, especially when we're dealing with human beings as heads of state. Uh, And so uh, it's also interesting in the context of uh, Abe and his dealings with Donald Trump. And we know that uh, traditionally the U.S. and Japan, at least in the modern era, have had a a very strong bilateral relationship. And um, Abe and Trump have also had an amicable relationship. I think you can largely attribute that to to the massive efforts uh, uh, 
made by Abe towards that end uh, uh, with a wider strategic goal in mind. What do you think are then the implications going forward for the uh, U.S.-Japan relationship? So again, as with you know a lot of these issues, any prime minister is going to come in and um, have a legacy that he or she will find difficult to completely move away from. There's no question in my mind that um, Suga or anyone else would view the relationship with the United States as you know very very important. Uh, and uh, the one thing I would say is that. Suga is more of what I would call a meat-and-potatoes-type politician focused more on domestic issues. Mm. I wouldn't consider foreign policy to be something that he would spend a lot of time on. I don't know if that's really his strong suit. Mm. Uh, so I can't see him being in a position to, to, to form the same type of cordial relationship with Trump as Abe managed to do. But at the same time, he's a very, very savvy, competent political operator. Uh, and he has done a lot of work, for example, on the issue of U.S. military bases in Japan. So he, he has some background, and he does have a lot of good connections in the U.S. government. So I, I think that if it's Trump or, whether, or, or if it's Biden, in either case, I think Suga would do a good job of maintaining that good relationship. And also uh, the uh, interesting aspects of that uh, would be uh, you have to balance, and, and South Korea knows this uh, uh, very well, uh, you have to balance the pressure of being that traditional security ally of the United States, but here in the uh, Northeast Asia region with uh, China emerging uh, as a, as a uh, superpower and the kind of competing interests that we have with uh, Washington and Beijing, and balancing that with the uh, intense economic interests as uh, more and more of these countries are uh, reliant on uh, Beijing, particularly in matters of trade. What do you think happens with Japan's relationship with China? That, that's always had its ups and downs and, and tensions that uh, inherently exist, as we see with South Korea as well. Uh, Beijing apparently exploring the possibility of a summit between uh, Xi Jinping and um, Suga. You mentioned Suga maybe being more inwardly uh, domestic-focused, particularly with the... Uh, coronavirus and the economy, uh, but the economy, a lot of that will have to also address some of these factors with, uh, with China. Do you think that relationship also has a potential to, to shift in any uh, meaningful way? I think it does. Um, I think that the biggest problem, at least uh, this year, has been, I think, the Japanese getting quite upset about the the additional pressure that they're feeling from Beijing, in particular, uh, some of the efforts by Chinese Coast Guard vessels to uh, put pressure on Japanese control of the Senkaku Islands in mm -hmm. East China, or I'm sorry, the East China Sea. Uh, that's going to be difficult to overcome. Uh, just kind of bad feelings about how people in Japan feel China is behaving, uh, and so Suga or somebody else would would come into that environment, and even if he or she wanted to move in a different direction, would have to face that type of public sentiment and also, you know, that type of feeling within, within the ruling party. Um, the one thing I would say is it will be interesting to see how uh, there's, a, there's a person, uh, Secretary General of the LDP, Mr. Nikai. He is known as having a uh, quote-unquote good pipeline into China mm -hmm. and has often been working behind the scenes to improve relations. He's very close to Suga, 
So it will be interesting to see if Mr. Nikai plays a role in shaping some of Suga's views and policies towards China. And again, uh, this time for a foreign policy perspective, uh, we've got about a minute left. How would you assess uh, Shinzo Abe's legacy and tenure as the longest ever uh, serving prime minister of Japan and how he conducted diplomacy? I think on balance, uh, his foreign policy has been quite good. And I say that in large part because he often has received more praise from the Japanese public for what he's done outside Japan than what he's done inside Japan. He has really worked hard to raise Japan's profile to get it more involved in international diplomacy, certainly has worked on uh, building relationships with countries in the region, not only in Northeast Asia, but also in Southeast Asia and South Asia. So I would imagine that uh, many people will look back on his his uh, his time in office and really think that foreign policy rather than anything related to abenomics might have been his biggest accomplishment. Yeah, very interesting. And as you very well know, um, here in South Korea, <laughs> the assessment of that would be uh, quite a bit uh, uh, different uh, indeed. <laughs> I, I can, I'm talking in broad right, terms. Sure, sure. Uh, Scott Seaman, <laughs> Asia Director of Eurasia Group, thank you very much for joining us and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you.